Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You're listening to DraftKings Network. Welcome to Golikin's Smitty. I'm Mike Golikin. I'm Jessica Smetana. Welcome. It's Golikin's Smetty. I'm Mike Golik Sr. She is Jess Smetana. We are at it yet again. Uh, great show today. Mike Lombardi, uh, he has been, he's, he's basically our teammate now at DraftKings and Vissen, but for years, whether it was a scout or a pro, pro player personnel, director of, of personnel, GM in the NFL for a number of years, worked for Bill Walsh and Bill Belichick. So we're going to talk with him about the draft and other things uh, in the NFL coming up uh, in a little bit, Jess. But I guess the big news out is right before, you know, we started taping this is, is I know Stugatz will be very happy about this. The the trade for Aaron Rodgers finally went finally. through, and he is now a New York Jet. My gosh, the drama is over. Okay, Mike. Before we get to, uh, as many are calling it, our long national nightmare finally ending. <laughs> the forty days. I wonder if he purposely picked a biblical amount of days to <laughs> from like the the visit, the Woody Johnson visit to now, or whenever he was on the Mac show, whatever. Uh, the 40 days is over. But before we get to that, Mike, I need to tell you how washed I feel right now because we just did um, a, a Levitard show physical activity event where I had to like basically work out for a half hour. And I can't tell you more than that because it's a secret. Okay. But my eyes are glazing over as we are speaking right now. I cannot do an afternoon workout and then talk to you, Mike, because I'm fading. So uh, do you work out? What, what, yes. Do you have a workout routine? I do. I, in fact, I worked out this morning as well as this afternoon, which is, oh. I think, why I'm dying. Yeah. Yeah, but, Mike, I truly, like, my, my eyes are beginning to water. And, like, they're, you know, the thing where, you're, like, you're out of focus a little yeah. bit? That's yeah. happening to me right now. So uh, you can, we'll keep going as long as I make it. But if at any point I zone out for a while... It's because inside I'm dying. You should start to drink heavily right now is what you should start to do. Yeah, I probably should drink some water, actually. Was it, yeah, you should. Was it, was it that much of a different workout routine than what you're normally used to? Is that what did it? I know um, you can't really tell me much. Yes, I would say yes, it was. It was intense. So are you telling me everybody on that crew did this workout? Yeah, but I definitely did it um, the most, like, I was, I was ready to go. Well, yeah, because so, it's a bunch of guys who don't give a shit. I mean, how about, like, was <laughs> Stu Gotts there? Did he do it? No, because if, okay. if he was, he would not be no, no. breathing right now. He, he would never do it. Yeah. Well, good luck in your recovery. Water, I mess around about you should drink heavily right now, but it should be water. You, you got to yeah, keep going Yeah, that would be a good water. idea. Yeah, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you play pickleball and then hop right on with us or, or whatever you do. We had some good pickleball the other day. Me and, and me, Chris were playing Ben and Sydney. Um, and, and the thing is, Ben and Sydney are starting to get better. They, they actually beat us two out of three this time. Chris and I have owned them, and I played horrible this time, I have to say. And up at the net, I was, it was, there were forced errors. It were my own fault. It was a bad, bad job out of me. 
but man, it's a lot of fun. Uh, we are we're thinking of. So you're going to make it out to our, our golf tournament again, right? You have to defend your long. Oh drive, yeah, I have yeah. to. Uh, yeah, closest to the pin, I, I believe it. Close was. to the pin, that was it. For so we're case. actually thinking of if it, it won't be this year because logistically we got to figure out a way to make it a golf tournament and pickleball event. We want to incorporate that as well. I love that idea. Because yeah, not everybody wants to golf all the time. And, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of those things are just for golfers. So we have the party the night before, but maybe some of those people can come and play pickleball while other people play golf. But we got to figure out a place. We don't want it at two different locations. Yeah. So we got to figure out a, where we can set it up at the Warren, the course. It at sounds Notre like Dame. we need to build Mike Golick Memorial pickleball yeah. courts at Notre Dame on campus. That could be it. You know, everybody wants their name on a dorm or on a, or yeah. a dormitory or Ooh, on an so academic in. building. Screw I'll chip that. in. I'll yeah. chip in on this. I'll, yeah. I'll give you like Smetty, 50 the bucks. That's okay. That Golik would be great. Smetty pickleball courts. Let's do that. I love, this yeah. is a great idea. Let's oh, do this. Oh, I like let's, that a let's lot. Let's raise some money, Mike. I, I'm, I'm for courts. that. Yeah, we're, we're definitely going to do that in tournaments. So that may, uh, we'll, we, will, we will look into that. You keep drinking water. And, okay. and I guess. We'll see if I make it. All the Jet fans out there, which which is amazing to me, they probably still will still will look at this as a negative. They're they're still going to wait for the shoe <laughs> to drop, aren't they? Well, I mean, they traded for a Packers quarterback a few uh, I don't know a decade or so ago, and it didn't work out for them. So, is this going to be history repeating itself? Yeah, I, I don't know. Like they they have a terrible track record with quarterbacks, whether traded or drafted. Um, they have just not been a successful franchise probably as long as I've been alive. So yeah, I could see why they would be a little negative re regarding Aaron Rodgers, uh, because they're probably all very cynical fans, but they should be excited because he's won the MVP like four yeah. times. Granted, yeah. didn't have his best season last year, but he was still very good. He also was injured. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for them. Get an old lineman, yeah. uh, with the, with the, the pick at 13, Brees Hall defense. coming back from injury. I love him. Garrett Wilson, you're helping out on the outside. And that you said it, great defense. So I, th I think they could be in a but nice I, but position. But I could see why their fan base is cynical. Sure. Makes, oh, without yeah, a doubt. Makes a lot of sense. They, they just look up and wait for something to fall on their head. Right. So, like, so yeah. we'll get into that with Michael Lombardi, the draft, and the court, and, and he and, and uh, Jalen Hurts that signed as well. We'll do that. NBA playoffs are going on right now. We're still kind of working through – the first round, the only team out of that is the 76ers. They swept uh, Brooklyn 4-zip, uh, so that one is over. There's a few others that are 3-1. to one. Knicks are up 3-1 on Cleveland. Denver's up 3-1 to one, uh, on Minnesota. They staved off being swept. But, but you know, we're dealing with, with the injuries we were dealing with. We talked about John Morant, but he is back with that right-hand injury. Mm -hmm. Giannis Antetokounmpo looks like he's going to be back, and they need him because they're down yeah. at the taping of this 2-1 to, to the Miami Heat. De'Aaron Fox for Sacramento. He cracked the tip of his finger in game four. That series is 2-2 with mm -hmm. Golden State. So we'll see if he can play or not with that. But where I wanted to go, Jess, and this involves more your boyfriend, Lee, than you. Mm, okay. But I want you to you, – you've probably been next to him on the couch when something like this has happened to see a reaction. I'm talking about the nut shot. Okay, mm. we've seen it now three times in the playoffs. Okay, <laughs> yeah, the J the James Harden one yeah. was a moment for us when when he got ejected and Lee was like, "What was that for?" And then they watched the replay and he's like, "Oh, I get it." And I was okay, like, see, that's where I want to go. So you have James Harden with the clear out nut shot. 
You have uh, Dylan Brooks. <laughs> you have Dylan Brooks with the I'm going for the ball, and he hit both balls on LeBron James and got tossed for that. Yeah. Um, and Harden got tossed. And to me, the most egregious one, laying on his back, dudes mm-hmm. on top of him, and he just kicks up with his size 30 shoe, you know, and just lifts the boys into the dude's lower stomach. And he only gets a flagrant one. He doesn't even get tossed for that. So women can't really, you know, when they see that go, oh, because, you know, I think right. we know I, why. I can't put, I can't picture right. what it feels but, like. But so you're sitting next to Lee and Lee sees that, whether it was one of those three or another one. It, mm. I mean, it's a, it's a reaction out of guys, isn't it? Oh, always. I mean, I always watch sports with like a group of people and it's always the same thing. And I just kind of sit there and I'm like, meh, like, cool. I, I don't, I don't really react much, but there's always a reaction in the room. Like you're absolutely right. Even though it seems like the most, no pun intended, low hanging of fruit, uh, reactions during a sporting event yeah it's still it's still a thing it still happens even even the younger generations reacting to the nut shot yeah and and pretty much any guy has has gone through that I had one time in the league Jess I was with the Eagles and it was a goal line play we were we were the 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 other team was off it was the Giants and we were they were like on the one yard line so I'm a D lineman I'm down really low right and our job is to just kind of shoot forward Mm mm-hmm and try and recreate the line of scrimmage. So I'm over the right guard, and I just kind of shoot down low, and he's on top of my back a little bit toward my head, but my legs are free. And I see, even laying there, the back is cutting back behind me, you know, going to the goal line. So I whipped my leg around heel first. And let me tell you, Jess, I felt nothing but soft tissue. I mean, and I swung my leg hard. He went down like a sack of potatoes. Now, he <laughs> fell into the end zone and he still scored. But, oh. I mean, I gut-shotted him so bad, Jess, that it took me a while. But I think about 15 years later, when I was doing Mike and Mike at ESPN, we brought him on the show and I apologized publicly to, for kicking him into Coulions, uh did, on, well, on that play. Did he thank you because then he didn't need to get a vasectomy later yeah. in life? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Saved I'm him, telling saved you, him some money on a medical procedure. Because I think I that suppose. some people, some people think that football players wear cups. We do not. Yeah, no, you, I you know. Do not because all the different most ways that you athletes, fall. Most would, professional athletes hurt. don't. I no, don't think. No, I mean even football, baseball players really. Yeah, in, in football, you think of the way you fall; it would pinch or, or wouldn't be good. Ow. So, yeah. no, uh, yeah, that was. Uh, those are tough calls. So we had three prominent ones go on in the playoffs. So again, we're yeah, just my my. Yeah, my favorite is the when the announcers try to talk around it, though. That's always oh, that's always yeah. the highlight for me. Listen, I think you just got to call it like you see it. I mean, you just you just have to because I've done that. You just use a word that won't get you in FCC trouble, right? You know, you you, you use some humorous term, you know, for a nut shot. You know, it's probably not what you want to say, but you got to <laughs> call it as you see it. Oh, it. Looks like he hit him in the upper stomach. No, no, he didn't hit him in the upper stomach. He hit him in the Coulions, okay? That's where he hit him, not in the upper stomach. He wouldn't have reacted like that had he got hit in the upper stomach or lower stomach or whatever. Mm-hmm. You got to call it as you see it, don't you think? It's a lower body injury, as they say in hockey. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, that's exactly right. I do like the way hockey does their, uh, does their injuries. It, I think it is so cool. unnecessarily big, but oh, All right. oh well. All right, enough of that. We'll see where that continues to go. Again, we'll talk with uh, Michael Lombardi. We got draft. We got quarterbacks to talk about. 
uh, as well. Uh, so we will get to that next. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, Michael, here we go. Uh, another draft. One, you have been part of many of these on your, uh, your years through the NFL. A couple stops in Ouch. Cleveland, obviously San Francisco, Philadelphia, the Raiders as well. So I, I love this, though. You started out at UNLV. This is what I always loved. When I would get ready to call games, I loved going over coaches and or managements like their history. So where you are now or what you're going through the NFL, go all the way back to first getting into this. What was it, 81 to 84, UNLV, yeah. the, the recruiting coordinator. And just th- that's back in my, my years at Notre Dame. Sorry, Jess, we're the old, old No, I mean, you here. started out with like an old, like, well, like, oh, you've been doing this for a long time, he, Listen, buddy. He, he knows I'm not digging in him. We're around the same age. So yeah, I mean, we've, we've been doing I, this for I, a while. I don't take it. I wouldn't take it that way, Mike. I appreciate it. Hello. Thanks for having me. I, I, I was fortunate in life uh, that I grew up on the Jersey Shore, and I saw this guy on television that looked like he belonged in my family dinners. He had a big nose and olive skin, and then I had this guy telling me to cross Highway 9 and chase a dream, and I combined those two things. So when I went to college, I knew I couldn't play pro football, but I wanted to be involved in football. So... I just started going to coaching clinics when I was at Hofstra University in the off season. And I would go for years and drive my little Toyota around. And I got a job for un, for no money here at Las Vegas as an assistant, assistant to an assistant. And I started my career here. And then I was fortunate enough to become Bill Walsh's driver, which was the greatest job I ever had in my life. Uh, I carried his bags. I, I drove his car. I did whatever he wanted me to do. And I worked in scouting. And then from there, I just was able to, to kind of start my career. So I, I've been really blessed. I, I'm fortunate to be around two of the greatest coaches of all time, obviously Bill Walsh and Bill Belichick. And then working for Al Davis was uh, a, a great learning experience for me. So I, I've been really blessed. I, I look at this experience as a, a life well lived. Hey, Jess, I want to ask you something of what he mm-hmm. said, because I know and understand it because I did it as well when he said, I worked for no money. Does your generation understand that at all? Oh Sometimes when you start out yes. that you have to work for no Mike, money. The federal minimum wage hasn't increased in like 30 years. I think our generation <laughs> no, understands. But we said no money, though. We Jess. said no we money, Jess. Minimum wage. I yes. was getting I, Holiday Inn coupons to go to the, you know, and Burger King coupons. That's how which, I Which is thinking. ridiculous because I'm sure Al Davis or whoever you were working for at the time was probably making like, <laughs> Bajillions you know of Al dollars. Davis? Do you know Al Davis? You yeah. know how he paid? I mean, come well, on. I know how his son used to cut his hair. So, yeah, I guess he probably wasn't spending a lot of the extra money he was making on things. So, nothing, I guess, nothing surprises uh, I me. I think there. Al Davis pays like the, the Chargers do now. Uh. You know, I, I mean, it, back then it was a luxury to work in the NFL. You know this, Mike. I mean, before this TV revenue hit, I mean, guys kept jobs for a long time. And, you know, the owners really didn't have this kind of wealth. I mean, for a team to be sold for $6 billion now or plus, 
I mean, back when I started in 84 with the 49ers, the, 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 the TV revenue per team was $16 million per team. I mean, it, it really is incredible where it was and where it is now. And you mentioned, and I was going to bring it up, because there's a couple things to talk about. I want to concentrate on the draft now, and then we had the, the, the trade go through with Aaron Rodgers. So there's a lot to get in with you. As, as you mentioned, you know, you're from a scout to pro uh, personnel director, director of player personnel, uh, to GM. And you mentioned to two of the guys you were with, and Bill Walsh and Bill Belichick. So let's start there, especially getting ready for the draft. What, what are some of the, the, the biggest takeaways you learned from those guys as you're preparing your draft board? I think the number one thing, uh, both of them echoed this commentary all the time, is it doesn't matter where we pick the players, it matters how they play. And we are in constant conversations about this, you should pick this guy five. No, no, he's not good at five, but he would be good at 12. Oh, no, 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 you can't pick him there. My board says you can't pick him there. It's all nonsense, right? Does it ma- It only matters how they play, you know? And that's is the end of the day, is we're grading players for a draft to describe how they will play for our team. The description tells you where you should pick the player, not where, not just saying he's a first rounder or he's a second. It means nothing. And both of them really believe that. And both of them believe that there were players out there that if given an opportunity, they could be really good, that it didn't matter about their pedigree. It only mattered about how they played. As far as so, as you look at players through the years, so let's let's look at at this year's draft, and you know there's the height, weight, all the combine stuff, which that could be a whole nother discussion. But then tape of how they actually look on the field. But then you start to throw in stuff. You go to you have a Laramie Tunsil situation, a Warren Sapp situation, something off the field that happens. And this year it's Jalen Car uh, Jalen Carter, an absolute you know, devastating player on the field. But now some of those questions off the field, how do you go about evaluating that and putting that into the sequence? Well, the first rule of scouting is to know more about the players before you draft them than after. And so you, and today, when I started in the league, you could go to Notre Dame to scout Mike Golick and the coaches there would tell you everything you didn't know about him. You could go in the training room and the trainers would tell you every injury. They would give you everything. They would, you know, but the laws in the country don't allow this any longer. So going to a college campus today, you're not getting very good medical. You're not going to get the inside information on the player. So you have to find out how to get information. Information is the most valuable tool in the NFL draft. And really being able to determine character, right? That's been the hardest thing. If you look at some of the greatest draft mistakes, it's been really not over the evaluation of the talent. It's been the evaluation of the character, whether that means performance enhancement drugs that was in the character that made the guy a better player or whether it was a character off the field. And that's the challenge to get into. And with Carter, you know, nobody at Georgia is going to say a bad word about Carter. They're going to say he works hard. They're going to say all the right things. You're going to have to find a way to dig deeper and to see who you're getting and can you manage this. And then whomever drafts Carter and somebody's going to draft him. Whoever, then they got, you got to have a plan for him. Okay, this is what we have to prepare for. You know, this is what we need to work on. And you're going to have to teach the young man how to become a professional player. We just can't assume they're just going to know how to be a pro. 
You're going to have to spend time teaching them. And it's got to be hands-on teaching. It just can't be, okay, we're going to go to the rookie seminar. Go ahead and you figure everything out. No, 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 that ain't going to work. you got to spend time coaching the kid up on how to be a pro. Can you divulge any any tactics? Because now, like you said, you can't go talk to a coach and yeah. a trainer and figure anything out. Like, are you hiring private investigators? Oh, what, I, what are you, my favorite on? one, God rest her soul. We, when I was in Cleveland, we hired a young lady named Carly McCord, who unfortunately died tragically in a car, in a plane accident on way to uh, watch her father-in-law coach in the LSU championship game. And I hired her because she had this unique ability to she was a broadcaster by trade but she also had an ability to connect with players and they loved her and they talked to her and she had a sorority sisters all over the country so if i asked her a question about johnny manzel she knew the answer and and the one thing you always want to do is find players when they're comfortable they relax so if you go to campus, if I went to go scout Mike Golick today at Notre Dame, I wouldn't spend time at the Notre Dame office. I'd go to the local, local brewery and ask the bartender about him. I'd go to the campus security and find out about him. I, I would do everything. I would go to the sorority houses and see who he's dating, who he dated, because that's the only way you're going to get real information. And Carly was such a, an amazing person. I only had her for one year when I was in Cleveland and got fired, but she was incredible. I called her. I was in New England. I called her and said, you know, make sense of this uh, Collins. Remember when Larry Collins had the incident where his girlfriend got shot and, and, and everybody thought it was him? I called her up and said, what do you think? And she said, there's no way he did that. There's no, I know this kid. There's no way he did it. I know his family. I know the situation. And we didn't draft them because of the uncertainty. We had a whole we had a whole security department in New England working to find out the facts. She knew them before anybody. So that's the kind of stuff you have to do today. You have to you have to disguise yourself. Years ago, we sent Jim Schwartz, now the defensive coordinator of the Phil uh, of the Cleveland Browns. We sent him. He was a young scout with us. This is before he became a coach. We sent him to the uh, Playboy All American Club uh, weekend out in Phoenix, Arizona. Always happened on on Mother's Day weekend. He was single at the time. We sent him out there, didn't let him wear one thing that said Cleveland Browns. He looked like he was basically working in the custodial department of the Biltmore. And when his notes came back about what he described of the players were just incredible. Ray Lewis's notes, the most dynamic leader I've ever seen, could rally people around. That's the information you got to find. And I saved those notes. I still have them from, from 19, you know, and he described everybody perfectly. Because that's the only vision you can get. So, in, in, Michael, in this era of there's so much tape available to watch or in person to watch or information to get, we're about to have at least four. We'll see if Hendon Hooker goes into the back of the first round. But we'll have at least four quarterbacks go in the first round from Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, and Will Levis. And history says two will be a bust. With all the, all the information we have, why does that happen? Because we, we try to make something that they're not, okay? Will Levis, I like Will Levis. Why did he transfer from Penn State? Why couldn't he beat out Sean Clifford? If he's as good as he, everybody says he is, Penn State should have won a national championship with him at quarterback, right? I mean, so there's things that you can't answer. Why did Mitchell Trubisky, the player of the year in the state of Ohio, Mr. Ohio, have to go to North Carolina? Why didn't he go to Ohio State? Why did he sit three years behind? Bill Walsh taught me this years ago, don't take the one-year player and look, and look forward. Take the one-year player and look back. 
So we have to look back on some of these kids. And I think really, to me, and I've said this on my show, I've said it on my podcast, it's a one-quarterback draft to me. It's a one-quarterback draft. I think there's one guy that I could say he's going to be a gen- he's going to be a really good player. I think the Bears would have never traded the first pick overall in the draft if Bryce Young were six feet two. The 5'10 allowed them to do it. I, I think he'll overcome the 5'10, but I'm hesitant to say that because it's not a lot of history. But he's unique. He's got instincts, awareness, timing. Walsh would be able to, if I always sit there and say, who would Walsh like in this draft? And Walsh would like Bryce Young. Would he like anybody else? I don't think so because their feet aren't tied to their arm. There's a little bit. Anthony Richardson's a great athlete. I think he should have gone back to school. Tremendous athlete. But you're going to spend two years getting him ready to be a year away from being ready. It's going to take a while. How does a quarterback like Josh Allen change that equation, though, when you have teams that can find someone who, if you look back, why did he go to Wyoming, right? That's not really a power five quarterback powerhouse university. Why didn't he go to an Ohio State or an Alabama? Probably because where he grew up. Same thing with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, why did Aaron Rodgers only have one offer to go to Cal? Why did Tom Brady just have Michigan? Tom Brady was drafted by baseball. You know, I think that's part of it. I think you are part of your 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 history is part of it. And I, and I think if, you know, what Josh Allen was able to do for Wyoming's football program was pretty good. Now, if Anthony Richardson played up in Wyoming, would he have had similar numbers to what Josh Allen did? We know he's improved his accuracy. He's a big man. He's physical. He runs with the ball. But there's always an exception to every rule, right? There's always some guy that kind of makes things happen that you're not used to. But you can't live on exceptions because if you draft exceptions, you become a team of exceptions. So – as you go through the draft board and everybody sets theirs and has multiple players, obviously, in case that the, an, another player is gone, what's the acceptable amount of distance between draft picks before you get to this guy was a reach? If you, if you have him at 10, but you want to maybe have to think you've got to take him at 8 or 7, where, where is that line of this is now a reach? Well, it really matters how they play, right? But if you're taking a guy at, at, at four and you could have, like Cleveland Farrell, the Raiders take him at four, you know, he probably should have gone somewhere in the 20s. He didn't even run a 40. I mean, Al Davis, who's the man who loved 40s more than anybody, would have never done that. He's not drafting anybody without a 40. So I think there's that. There is certainly draft management. I mean, you know, we took – we were getting ready to, in 1986, just this is long before you were born, but 1986, <laughs> we were getting ready to take, Bill Walsh sent me to the blackboard. Do you even know what blackboards are, Jess? <laughs> sent me to a blackboard, right? And said, write these three names down. And I said, okay, coach. And I wrote Gerald Robinson, defensive end, Auburn. He said, write John L. Williams, running back, Florida. Write Ronnie Harmon, running back, uh, uh, Iowa. Okay, wrote him on the blackboard. Next pick, Robinson goes. Next pick, Williams goes. Next pick, next pick, Harmon goes. We have nobody left to pick. We're going to pick Larry Roberts. And Bill knew you couldn't pick Larry Roberts the 20th pick. So we bought a half hour of time, traded with Dallas. They picked Mike Sherrard. And then we kept moving back. And in that draft, we end up with Larry Roberts, Tim McHire, John Taylor, uh, uh, Charles Haley, Steve Wallace, Tom Rathman, Kevin Fagan, and Don Griffin. We end up with seven guys who could. So sometimes when you move back, you move back to get really good starters, maybe not the blue chip player. And I think you have to really understand that. That's part of the horizontal board. Everybody talks about the vertical board in football, right? Okay, here's how I have this guy ranked. Well, there's a a horizontal board. How does this guy, this quarterback, or this running back compare to this offensive tackle? 
Who's going to make that decision? And so the horizontal board and the vertical board are really important. And I think that that's where value comes in, Mike. Can you explain what goes on every year when you have a player? I, I, this year, I think Michael Mayer is a good example of this, and we're both Notre Dame grads, so very relevant to us. We watched Michael Mayer play. He was outstanding at Notre Dame, broke yeah. almost every tight end record. Seems like he's going to be the consensus first tight end off the board. And then, like, the weeks leading up to the draft, all of a sudden you hear maybe he's not the maybe he's not the best tight end. Maybe Dalton Kincaid is the best tight end. Yeah. Maybe he's going to be the third tight end off the board. Like, what happens between – the end of college football season and the draft where someone who you think is a sure thing all of a sudden, Oh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this guy's not as good as we think. Yeah. I mean, I'm in the same club as you on Michael Mayer. I thought he would be worthy of a top 10 pick. And then when I watched the tape, you know, I didn't see the blocking that I was hoping to see. I didn't see the great separation. I thought he was a bigger man than he measured to be. I thought he had Gronk like size and I, I think he's still a good player. Now, don't get me wrong, but I think there was like I was a little bit disappointed to where if you have a grading system, you couldn't grade him as high as you thought. When TV scouting him, I was really high on him. But when I tape scouted him, I wasn't as high on him. I'll give you the example the other way. Like I didn't think Bryce Young was a good enough player to be even talked about. But then when I watched the tape. And I was like, well, wait a minute. This guy's really, really good. This guy's like, it's not even close. Like, it's Bryce Young, and then there's a huge gap between the next one. So I think it happens sometimes. You get a perception of a player from watching him, and then when you study him and you compare his times to other times, and then you have to grade him in a grading system where you have to describe the player. What can he do? What's his impact on third down? Can he win against man-to-man -man coverage? Can he separate against the corner? What can he do? Those things become a little bit harder to manage once you watch the tape. Isn't there a time, though, where you have to just believe what you see? And for, like, Michael Mayer, like, he just got the job done. Yeah. Because I, I agree. He's not a guy that's going to separate you. He's not a guy that's going to stretch the defense. But he's just a good guy that blocks well enough and makes the play each time you need him to to get the job done. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I mean, to me, it's just when you have a grading system – You've got to match what he does to the grading system. And you sometimes you can't grade him high enough to get him where it is. Would I be surprised if he had a great NFL career? No. Uh, but to me, I was disappointed. I was expecting a better version of Gronk. Maybe I had my expectations up too high. I think that's the other thing that happens to us in scouting is we get these biases put into our minds. And it, and it ruins us a little bit. You know, I really like this guy. And then you start collecting data that supports why you like him. So let, let's look. One other thing about the draft that, that is interesting to me when you get in that room you guys are in and the decisions you have to make. A team like Arizona has a lot of holes to fill. Yeah. So sitting at three is, and I don't know what your grade on is, but let's just say it's a great grade on Will Anderson because they're not taking a quarterback. And let's say their grade is just astronomical on Will Anderson, but they got a lot of holes to fill. What's the deciding factor on make that pick? or trade back and get a whole bunch of assets to take care of maybe some of our other issues? Think of it like playing pool, right? You know you're going to make this shot. Okay, you're going to put the cube, you're going to make this, this shot in pool. But where's your next shot coming from? So if I either take Will Anderson and I move back into, say, I move to the cluster of 13-14, right? I'm there. Well, who am I getting here? And then what did I get for it? And then remember this, every player becomes, every pick becomes a player. Right. The Raiders traded Amari Cooper. It ended up being Jonathan Abrams. 
Was that, you know, so every pick becomes a player. So you want to be able to, this is why the, I said today on my podcast, I thought it was a 90% chance the Rodgers deal would get done. Because if you're the Packers, you want to know what, who you're trading Rodgers for, at least in this draft. Right. So now I got the 13th pick. I got 40. I can quantify it a little bit better. If I wait till the next year's draft, I, I have no idea. Plus, the, the Jets will probably pick somewhere in the high 20s. I think that's kind of how you do it. You have to measure it. If I move here. So if you trade away from a blue chip player, trade away from a blue chip player, what am I getting in return for that? That's what you have to ask yourself. And that's why sometimes teams trade down and sometimes teams don't trade down because they don't want to trade away from an elite player. So the Jordan Love trade that was, or the Jordan Love draft, I should say, was 2020. Do you think there will be any anything like that in this draft that sets the wheels in motion to some future crazy transaction similar to what's happened with Aaron Rodgers over the last couple of years? Well, that's a great question. I, I, I don't know. I mean, we saw it with Trey Lance the other way, right? I mean, that started off the motion with Trey Lance, and now there's all these rumors that Trey Lance, and I think there are probably some, some substantial rumors to him getting traded on draft day because I think some of these teams are going to see it as an opportunity. I, I can't predict. I, I, I mean, I wish I loved these quarterbacks more than I do in this draft. I see, to me, one of the reasons why I don't think teams are going to trade up for a quarterback at least into the top five, is because they all have something wrong with them. That doesn't mean they can't be good players. It just means they're not, they're not clean. They're what we call clean, they're not perfect. The only guy that was, and he's still not clean because of his height, is Bryce Young. So I can't imagine, like Mike said earlier, two of the four of these guys are probably not even going to play. Here's the question I would ask both of you. Of these four quarterbacks that might go in the first round, how many of them do you think will get their fifth-year option picked up? Boy. That's another great question, and that one's so hard to tell because you look at Tua. Tua, you'd say the first five games, they're going to pick his option up. Then all of a sudden, he starts getting his head bounced off the turf, and they treated him. They, they handled it horribly. Now you wait. So that's, a, that's always a tough one. I, yeah. I agree with you. That, that, that I mean, so if, if it's not a lock that you're going to pick up the fifth-year option, like that's the question. If, you're picking in the, if you want to trade away from Will Anderson, am I trading away to guys that I don't even want the fifth-year option on? Yeah, yeah a, and there's so point. there's also so many variables as to like how good the team is that you're getting drafted to, right? You could be a, a pretty decent quarterback and you don't get a fifth year option because you lost a lot of games on a crappy team for a couple of years and now you're out of the league or whatever. But think happens. about this though, Jess. Lamar Jackson sat in that room. Nobody had a but none of these guys in this draft have had a better college career than Lamar Jackson. None of them have. Okay. Lamar Jackson sat in that draft, the green room for thirty one picks. He won a Heisman trophy. He's come in the National Football League. He's won 45 games. Like, I don't know what more the guy has to do to prove he's a really good player, but he got overlooked in a draft, and yet you wonder, like, what was going on? Like, how could this happen, right? And so Lamar takes over a team in Baltimore. They're 4-5. and five. They're not a good team at all. Joe Flacco's playing quarterback. They go 6-1 and one the second half when he starts and should have beaten Kansas City in one of those games. And that's what makes a difference. So – I think the one loss, when a great player takes over a quarterbacking job, he makes the team great. All right, that's the draft, and that's rookie quarterbacks. Let's, uh, let's move on to some veteran quarterbacks. All right, Michael, you brought him up uh, when we talked about the draft, started bringing up some of the other quarterbacks, the Aaron Rodgers of the world, Lamar Jacksons and such. So let's, let's go there. The Aaron Rodgers deal finally happens. He is a Jet uh, so what happens here is uh, Green Bay to the Jets. Uh, Aaron Rodgers goes to the Jets. Their first-round pick, which is number 15, and fifth-round pick, 170. 
And Green Bay gets the first-round pick of the Jets, which is 13th, second-round 42nd, sixth-round 207. And their 24 conditional second round that if Aaron plays 65% of the plays, which you would expect he would, that turns into a first-round pick. So first, Michael, we knew this deal was going to get done. Compensation both ways you think, you think worked out okay? You know, I think, look, Aaron Rodgers is still, even though he's 40 years old, he's still a really good player. I think the whole holdup on this deal was how do you quantify, is, it, is this a one-year transaction or a two-year transaction? And I think that was been the sticking point all along. I, I kind of felt like this is a really good deal for the Packers because just like as you mentioned, he's if, if, if he doesn't play 65% of the plays next year, this is a disaster for the Jets, Right. And I think it's a good trade for the Jets because they hang on to their first-round pick. They don't. They still get a good player at 15. You know, 13 to 15 probably would cost you a fourth-round pick to flip there. So they got an extra fourth in the deal. You know, I, I think it, it worked out pretty well for them. But that 65% threshold, that probably what they spent most of their time negotiating on is. You know, I'm sure you know the Jets wanted it to be 85. The Packers wanted it to be you know 45, and they kind of settled on 65. You know. I think that's the key because if this isn't if he doesn't play 65%, you know, they're in trouble and the Packers are, you know, the, the trade's going to be bad. Is this a is this a trade that you can only say worked if they win the Super Bowl, get to the Super Bowl? Is there a, is there a line to you when you're in management that says just like the Rams, when they traded away everything to do what yeah. they did, but they got a Super Bowl, so it's all worth it. What's all worth it for the Jets? You know, I think it's got to be a Super Bowl because they're, you know, they still have Zach Wilson, so they're hoping to rehabilitate him. Whether that they can or not, I don't know. Uh, but I think Aaron coming in the building, they still could say it, the the taxation of this deal isn't going to be as as harsh as it was for the Rams or even the Bucks. I think the two teams and really the biggest cap struggles. Even entering this year, the teams that have won Super Bowls two years ago, I mean, the Rams and the Bucks. The Bucks are in horrible cap shape, horrible cap shape, and so are the Rams. I mean, the Rams can't even sign anybody unless it's a minimum player. But they got a Super Bowl ring, and it's worth it, right? I think for this Jet team, it won't be as costly after Aaron leaves. You know, the Packers are going to incur some cap debt on this. The Jets are going to have to restructure some contracts here in the future to just to make this trade. They're going to need to pick up about $8 million worth of cap room. They can do it. They've got a lot of guys to do it with. So it won't be as lingering down the road, perhaps, as those other two teams were. Explain the Packers cap hit, though. It's, a, I think, a $40 million uh, dead dead money cap hit this year. How do they like negotiate that with you know now going through the draft signing more players etc well they could designate them the june one afterwards they traded them and it's a june one so they could pu push some of the money they have i think they have about they have about 26 million of debt of cap room that they could kind of but he's going to eat a good portion of that up they won't pick up the op he has an option in his contract now he redid his contract for the jets which is kind of i don't know if he'll redo his contract for the packers and then they'll trade or he'll they'll trade him and then he'll redo his deal which is i think probably will happen but the the packers have enough room the jets have to create some room the jets have been waiting to create room until the trade came through i'm sure they're working on it right now i love the fact that we do this june 1st designation someone gets traded in april and we designated june 1st i mean what the hell are we keeping dates for i mean yeah well i mean it's all just an accounting procedure yeah. mike it's just so the trades can go through and the teams that have bad caps can kind of still make look the 
the Bucks are in really bad shape with their cap. They don't even have a lot of guys to, to go to to get cap room. And so, like, they can't trade Shaq Barrett or cut Shaq Barrett. That would be too costly. There's been Devin White talk about him being traded. That would be costly. So that's when you get yourself locked in. And, look, they won a Super Bowl. So you can say, oh, it wasn't. But it was worth it. Absolutely worth it. You're absolutely right because I called a few of their games and looking at their money, they were going to be in cap hell. But they got the Super Bowl. So it paid off. The Rams got the Super Bowl. So it paid off. So we'll see what the Jets get. So along the lines of these vet quarterbacks, we had a few that that can sign, and Lamar Jackson has not gotten that fully guaranteed deal that he wants. I don't know where his head is now about that. But there was Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, and Justin Herbert, three guys that we said, okay, they're the next in line. Will one of them try and get a fully guaranteed deal? Jalen Hurts did not, took the 255, guaranteed with injury is like 180. and and, And he said, money is nice, championships are better. And he said, you need a village to win. So what did you think of his deal looking forward to other quarterbacks? Was it a good deal for him to take? I think it's the kind of deal that a great leader takes. I mean, Brady's made his whole career doing this kind of deal. You know, he's, he does. you need a village. It's hard if everybody just takes all the money. It's challenging. You know, I mean, when you think about the great Peyton Manning's career, he's won two Super Bowls, one with a great defensive team in Denver and the other with the Colts. So... And I'm not saying he took all the money, but it's hard. It's harder to do that. And so you need a little give and take. You need somebody willing to work on that. I think Lamar, if I were the Colts, I've been saying this all offseason. If I were the Colts, I'd pick probably Paris in the left tackle at, at, from the Ohio State. And I would try to trade for Lamar because that would satisfy two needs. Wouldn't you rather have Lamar Jackson than take a chance on any of these rookie quarterbacks? And yes. you say, well, you got to pay Lamar. Well, I mean, Lamar's going to get a contract that's going to be – Lamar's not – this is not his last contract. He's going to get two more contracts. He's going to get another one after this. I would – you would flip the AFC South. Indy might be the favorite. So I, I don't understand why people are hesitant about it. They say he's injury. Well, Lamar – Jalen Hurts missed games last year too. You know, and, and look, Justin Fields misses games all the time. He guy's been sacked 91 times in two years. I mean, you think he's not going to miss games? And it's amazing, these running quarterbacks, they quite honestly, get, they get hurt more in the pocket. When they start running, they have actually more control of their body. So what, what should Lamar Jackson expect now? We know the fully guaranteed, like Deshaun Watson, there's no shot that's, that's going to happen. I don't even think owners had to collude to do that. Yeah. None, of, none of them wanted to do that, and they hate Haslam for doing it. What now do you think in his mind should be a realistic to get? You know, I mean, look, the, the thing that you want as a player like Lamar, you want to have the injury guarantee. You're not going to get cut for skill. I mean, think about it. It's like what I love this when we when a contract comes out. They say, well, $100 is guaranteed in the first year. Oh, really? Like, seriously? Like, we're going to sign this guy and give him 50 to sign him? We're not going to guarantee in his first year we're going to cut him? Like, that's like a biggest fallacy of all. I think if you're Lamar, I would be more inclined to say, look, we're not going to get cut for skill. We're going to get cut if our, we have an injury. And if the injury prevents us from having the skill, then we're going to get paid. So the reason for it to be funded like the Browns did with Watson, you have to have skill, injury, and salary cap in all in one sentence. Teams don't want to do that. It's a funding issue. It's not that they don't want to guarantee it. You have to send money to the league office and put it in an escrow account. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. So I think it really comes down to Baltimore sitting down with the kid and saying, hey, look, here's the deal. You're going to get another bite of the apple. You know, like, is it that 
would you not? I mean, Lamar Jackson's going to play for the next three years. Why wouldn't you guarantee the whole thing anyway? Yeah, I would agree on like a, a three-year deal. And I do think he ends up back in Baltimore. Time will tell, but the domino is starting to fall. Uh, obviously, now we knew Aaron would get done. Uh, Lamar Hurts is signed, so we'll see about the veteran quarterbacks. And, and Michael, we get to talk about a new batch of millionaires coming up pretty soon uh, in the draft. We, we, we appreciate your time very much. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jess. Thanks, Mike. We already talked about one of our nightmares being over, which was the Aaron Rodgers debacle. But the other nightmare that we've been living through is the last four weeks without Formula One. Finally, Formula One will be back in Azerbaijan uh, with the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, Mike. And this is also the first sprint race of the season this weekend on Saturday. And they're doing a new format. So let me explain. explain that. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, it, I also probably need this explained to me, but they started doing this a couple of years ago in Formula One where they have a sprint race, which is like, you know, only 30 laps or something like that right. to determine the, uh, the placement on the grid for the Sunday race. And you can win points in the sprint race and it kind of counts as qualifying. But this year they're doing it differently. They're doing uh, qualifying for the sprint race. And then the sprint race is like a standalone opportunity to win points. So a sprint race, obviously, it's shorter. You're not probably going to stop and change your tires. It's just like fastest car wins, right. that kind of thing. Uh, so it's a little bit different than you know the strategy of like a full two-hour long race. But then there will still be a full race on Sunday for full points in the championship. And there will be separate qualifying for that. So this is all kind of new this year uh in this weekend i'm sure it's going to be confusing but i'm excited because it's been a month it's been a month without any cars going vroom vroom so so just so i understand the sprint races will then determine the the pole positions for the sunday race not this weekend that's what they were doing previously and drivers didn't like that so what i read is that they're not doing that this this weekend this is a standalone race and the winner of the race does not automatically get pole position in Sunday's race. They're going to have separate qualifying on, on Friday, I believe, for Sunday. And then a, a smaller qualifying practice session Saturday for the sprint race Saturday. I, it, it's, a, it's a lot, Mike. And I'm probably getting some of the finer points uh, mixed up. But that's basically how I understand it. And, of course, this is causing lots of controversy because... You know, the, the drivers don't like the sprint races and the team principals don't like the sprint races and they don't want one in Baku, which has like these really close walls next to the, you know, the racetrack. So if you get in a crash during the sprint race, it might cost you a, a ton of money and you might it might cost you a ton of points. Um, so Christian Horner's not happy about it. Uh, everyone's complaining. So this is going to be a, a whole thing this weekend. And I think it should be exciting. But, but it's interesting because the. the- guy who runs Haas, Gunther Steiner, he, he thinks, or I think there's going to be a vote that like half the races next year might have sprint races. In yeah, an, and I, yeah. Yeah. And I think they're also still have to vote on the format for this race. Like, I think this is all still kind of like, they're trying new things. Basically. I think what Liberty media wants is more eyeballs on qualifying and on Saturdays so they can create two, you know, exciting television products for a lot of these races where there might not, you know, might not get as many people to tune in on, on a Saturday. So, but then of course it causes conflict with everyone who's actually participating in, in it because they feel like it cheapens what has been like the more traditional format of doing qualifying and then the races. So and they're also, they're uh, also talking about <laughs> expanding races too to like 25 races. 
I which is cool by me. The more the merrier. <laughs> right. This is actually. I think this year there's 23 with the canceled race, so it's like right. the longest season in Formula One history. And they're trying to stretch it out. I saw uh, the head of F1 saying that maybe they'll add another race in the United States down the line. They floated New York as a possible place, which is crazy. There's already yeah. three races in the states, so yeah. you know, would they take one away or add a fourth? So yeah, it's not going away anytime soon. All right. Well, I, I'm glad there's finally a race coming up again. But, and- but, but, but I'm bearing the lead because what I really wanted to talk about was the rumors that Fernando Alonso and Taylor Swift are dating. So what do we think? I don't know. I don't know. But I'm sure you know what Dumas is, Mike. It's yes. a, of, of course. They are the ones who posted this blind item about it. Right. Um, so I think what we should do, I now that... Now that we both have talked about this, we should get Gojo on the line yeah. and talk about it next week with him because he's the Taylor Swift expert and we can figure out what's going on and get to the bottom of it. Boy, but that, that is that, the major news of the week. That is a lot of money getting together right there if those two are, are hooking <laughs> up. That is, that is something else. All right, we will get Gojo on for that. We want to talk about a show announcement and times and such, but real quick, if you go to DraftKings Sportsbook, you can find all kind of great uh, props and odds for the draft, like Bryce Young is minus 1,600 to be the number one pick, C.J. Stroud plus 800, a lot of different things you could pick from. But, yes, fill in everybody because I don't understand a lot of this of our show and where it's going to be. <laughs> Starting next week, Mike, we're going to be airing at 4 p.m. Eastern on Tuesdays on the DraftKings Network. Yeah. And you can find the DraftKings Network on Samsung TV Plus if you have a Samsung Smart TV. Uh, if you don't have it, it's available still on podcast and on YouTube every week 5 p.m on tuesdays about that time usually um and yeah we're we're really excited to be part of the DraftKings network mike you're going to be in boston to do draft coverage with DraftKings, and we're we're excited to launch this new iteration of the show but if you if you listen to us on podcast we'll still be here every week yeah we'll still be here on podcast we'll just be um like like yeah DraftKings network is gonna have a whole lineup of shows and we'll be on tuesdays at four o'clock doing our show then as Jess mentioned our podcast will go on at five o'clock I just I'm just still one of those I talk into the microphone wherever y'all put it you put it I don't really that's why we, we had this show announcement and I was like okay I cannot be part of this because I'll screw it up somehow some way I don't know about this yeah and I have to pretend like I understand it because I can't be like oh I don't know either because then you'll make fun of me for not getting it and then I'll betray the whole gist of the show which is that you're the one that struggles with technology and I'm like filling you in on things but you knew what Dumas was, so that was that I, was. I'm not gonna lie, I lied. I don't really know what it means. Oh my god! All right, we're bringing on Gojo next week, and we're gonna explain all of this. Do you think Gojo. he knows what it means? Oh, a hundred percent. All right. Well, I look forward to being educated by the both of you because you guys are so much smarter <laughs> than me. Goodbye. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.